Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenson, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine, and your host for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest on Episode 50 is Dave Scott, who completed a solo journey on the Trans-America Trail. This is part three of a three-part interview, and believe it or not, we finally bring you the conclusion to Scott's adventure. We spoke to Scott in Episodes 46 and 48, where he told us about the challenges of preparing for and riding the Trans-America Trail during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, dealing with hurricanes in Mississippi mud, and then crashing on Imogene Pass in Colorado, where he broke his leg. Scott spent the winter and spring healing up, and in the summer of 2021, he returned to the Trans-America Trail. After conquering Imogene Pass, he rode through Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, and Oregon, where he finally made it to the end of the trail and dipped his tires in the Pacific Ocean. This is another unfiltered, uncensored conversation about the trials and tribulations of riding solo across America on a dirt bike. Look for part one of Scott's story in the adventure-themed November 2022 issue of Rider, and part two of his story will be published in early 2023. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, Dave, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Always good to talk to you, man. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's just around the corner. Actually, it's tomorrow when uh, we're recording this on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So, hey, people who have listened to episode 46 and then episode 48 of the podcast, uh, were the first two installments of our conversation with Dave Scott about his adventures and occasional misadventures on the Trans-America Trail. Uh, he rode a KTM 500 EXCF Cross America on a dirt bike. And um, so we left off at the end of episode 48, roughly with David made it all the way across to Colorado uh, and then was going up to uh, off-road trail up to Imogene Pass uh, near Ure. And uh, had an unfortunate mishap where he fell off his bike and broke his leg. So it brought his first leg of his trip to an abrupt end. So Dave, you went, you were able to basically, you had to leave the trail. You had to uh, get surgery. You had a pretty bad fracture. You had to go back home to Louisiana and convalesce. Uh, so you did this, you had, you were on the trail the first time in the summer of 2020. So basically summer into late fall of 2020. So basically the end of 2020 and early 2021, you were back home nursing a broken leg. Yeah, I was, it took about, it was a pretty gnarly one. It was a tabular fracture of the tibia and fibia. So basically it's like straight down kind of a smashy thing. And so I had, it look like a door hinge. It went from my femur and kind of, you know, straight across the top of it and then down the side and i had like i don't know 20 or 30 screws uh uh it was uh, kind of a thing anyway um so god that required uh you know two months non-weight bearing so walking around in one of those little old lady walker things with the tennis balls on it in the house and uh then crutches and then cane and etc so yeah it took a good you know until that summer almost where and as it was, I was actually kind of nervous because even on the fateful day that I had planned to retake this thing, I still had a little bit of a limp. I didn't notice it, but other people would say, hey, man, what you got that for? You know, and <laughs> I called it the Louisiana swagger. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, so that was, yeah, kind of a thing. But but in the me on the positive side of the ledger, and arguably now, I mean, Humpty Dumpty, I'm a 58 year old man so when you start breaking shit like that like you never 100 percent come back but uh you know it is what it is so uh anyway blah blah but during that interregnum you know i had a lot of time to think about stuff you know and especially in the hospital bed and uh you know laying around looking at the ceiling part and so i kind of rethought the whole tab you know 
And part of it too was, you know, the COVID was on again, then off again, then kind of on again and all that weird, all of us that went through that stuff and still kind of going on, I guess. But so I just so happened that a good buddy of mine that I knew from camping and like regional Burning Man events kind of stuff uh, was this guy named uh, uh, Nathan that lived up in Philadelphia. And the timing was good for him because he was kind of like between situations or something. And so, um, so basically the, now to get into the tap part of it was, um, it's kind of a cool double story. So I did it solo, unassisted with all my luggage, camping and cooking along the way. And then the second time I kind of did it like Rancho Relaxo style with clamping is that I had my buddy kind of track me in my Jeep. I've got old Jeep Wrangler TJ. And then I've got this pop-up trailer. That's really a badass piece of gear to, I don't know, I'm not chilling for him on your thing, though, but it's made by a company called Sylvan Sport, and the name of the trailer is called Go, G-O, uh, exclamation point. And it's neat because it's kind of like a little Swiss Army trailer. It's light as hell that one person can just grab it and push it around, but it could be a steak bed trailer. It could be, uh, it, it kind of lifts up, and so you can put motorcycles. I hauled two motorcycles when I moved from D.C. back to New Orleans, my Victory and that KTM dirt bike, uh, the one I gave to Rick, the 640 that I had. And then, um, and then you can stack canoes and mountain box on the top. But then when it turns into a tent, I'm 6'3", and I can stand up in the middle of it. And there's two large beds on either side and like a table. Anyway, blah, blah. So so basically, I could do the rest of the tat just on that little skinny dirt bike. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I kept water. I had. I kept my little... Um, like a little survival bag if, if I crapped out and had to spend the night. So I had like something to sleep in, a little baby bag and and a couple of spares, like a clutch cable and shit that I needed. So I still had a bag. You still can't get rid of that. But um, but not like, you know, 50 pounds of, you know, cross yeah, you, the country in three months just, of travel shit. Yeah, you basically just had what you needed for the day and you could have like your camping gear and all the heavy stuff on the trailer with your buddy in the Jeep. So that's yeah, and yeah. real spares and so real yeah. tools. You know? so you, and, it was like it was uh, like you're running it was like you're running the car and you had a support team. So you <laughs> Yes. It was super badass. And the badassness turns into italics is when I would roar into camp, my buddy was really good about this. He uh you know would end up going to a supermarket or something in the little towns, and so we would always or as much as we could. You'd have local beer, and I'm a Pilsner and Lager guy, so we even had it dialed in, you know, and so it'd have like Lo the local pilsner and literally we kind of went all out on the food budget so it was right. like t-bones and pork <laughs> chops the size of your face and again local farm to market products you know he was he was he had some magical powers is that he's uh he's a little bit younger guy than me i think he's like 31 or two or 30 nothing or whatever and so he can find crap on the internet like right away and there's tons of web rings that he knows about and so there's evidently some kind of a pseudo airbnb thing for campers and it's just random ranchers and wineries and stuff all around america just yeah, a, i think it's that called you hip can camp. dial in and camp and some are free and some are so, yeah i think it's called hip camp it's a website where yeah people that have private land will like allow people to come like pitch a tent or something and they charge whatever they charge for it but you can you know when campgrounds are full and all that kind of stuff yes. you can get some pretty cool but yeah so i've had some friends have used it yeah and he was the savvy. And so that was another one that like, you know, because before, you know, nine tenths of this stuff, I know it's boring to your list is it's kind of like logistics. And once you dial in all of that shit and hence like what you just did, I've never done it myself. 
And in the early days, I would scoff, you know, because I could do anything myself or whatever. But I get like those pay to ride things where you can fly to Switzerland and then just yeah. enjoy the shit out of all the trails and don't have to worry about customs and immigration and where the fuck you're going to stay yeah. and, and all of that. And, and that's a lot. Like I said, half these conversations are about all the little MacGyvering, which I actually found entertaining. But if I were that was something I was going to keep doing, I mean, ugh, you know, uh, all these little so it was yeah, it was a joy. I didn't have to carry anything. I ate like a king. Um, my buddy and we had similar tastes and stuff like because I met him camping. He was a camping master because that's another one. Sometimes you need camp with people. You're kind of carrying them. You got to drag them around and, <laughs> you know, boost them up. You know, enthusiasm is this fun, you know, and all of that. But in this case, this dude found great camping spots that like I couldn't have found myself, you know, had good food and it was a good camp cook. You know, everything was just so dot. So all I had to do was ride. So even though I was a little cripple and fair enough, kind of gun shy. Oh, and to really get into the tat part, which the story or whatever I tried is that like, I'm kind of dumb. Like, I think we talked about this the last time was that, you know, if I just wanted to complete the tat, which I did, and I really wanted to do it in one. So there was a part of me that said, oh, why bother? Like, I couldn't do it. Or I was going to start again from Cape Hatteras and do it all over again. And I mean, that's yeah. kind of extreme. But yeah. I really seriously considered it for like almost a month. <laughs> but I was recuperating. He's like, nope. Uh, hello? No, I'm still here. Okay, so your picture went out. For yeah, some yeah. Reason. I just it, it's better for the internet connection if I pull. Oh, okay. Video. That's your fine. your video's off, that. and so that way, yeah, we we had some interruptions last time, so yeah, it's all good. Sorry, didn't mean to. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. all. Good. I just look because there's been a couple of times where I've been rambling at this. No, no, know, yeah. I look yeah. over and I've been talking to the cat. You know, like. Yeah. No. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. The the video is what really hogs up the internet bandwidth. So anyway, so yeah. Sorry. Okay. Mean, all good. I didn't uh, even throw off your flow. No, no, it's all good. So anyway, blah, blah. So uh, I was like, oh, so starting. So like I, so, you know, what I, what I, I actively considered was starting all over again from Cape Hatteras or somewhere on the coast and kind of doing that. Or, and then I thought, oh, because it was such an ass pain to coordinate the truck and the thing. And, and, and I was like, oh, dear, I couldn't have anyone to haul it over there for me. And so then I thought, well, no, I'll just join it from the Mississippi tat maybe. And I could just ride over there. And then, um, but then I just thought, you know, I've already done all those things and you kind of don't, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, so what, what I probably should have done was just start in Oregon and then drive to Telluride, you know, and finish it there. And then I had friends in Colorado and cousins right. and stuff. So, um, no, but I decided but you, to, but your bike with, with HD. hang on one second. So, but with, you know, once you had to come off the trail, when you broke your leg, you had your bike stored in Colorado. So it was already there. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So it made sense. Like you wouldn't have to ship your bike anywhere. If you restarted in Colorado, roughly where you left. Yes. Off. Okay. But yeah. what that meant kind of where I was getting at is yeah, all the other possible options and permutations, but I started at the deep end. I mean, yeah. quite literally, even now in retrospect, and not just because I broke my leg, if I would have made it or whatever, is the single hardest day and the single gnarliest trails are right there in that little Colorado Lake District or whatever they call yeah. it there. And it's that damn road across Imogene Pass. And so, and of course, I mean, I kind of knew it, but I just thought, you know, I'm just going to front load it. I'm going to get over all my fears. I'm going to do the hardest thing in the beginning that I loathe and am most afraid of. And then it won't be hanging over my head. And then I'll go. And then also, since it's like arguably one of the highest roads in the uh, continent, you know, is that literally it'll be all downhill from here. <laughs> you know, that like there'll be nothing higher and nothing more gnarly. Yeah. And that's how that was. 
And so I'm doing it. And like you'd said, it's like, it just makes sense. I'm there and, and, and I'm a completist. That's like the main thing and blah. Well, fair enough, you know, so we, we went down. Oh, but the other thing too, is that that amazing gal, uh, Dana Withers, who, who uh, has, oh, pause for the, if anyone other than my cat and you who listened to, I finally got around to listening to those other podcasts and I apologize to humanity for the rambling, uh, <laughs> particularly the second one was I was somewhat poor form. Uh, I think we talked about everything but motorcycling in the past. <laughs> but uh, I was trying to move that conversation along, but you weren't having it. <laughs> I was insistent, man. I needed to get drilled out into hurricanes and how they're formed or whatever. <laughs> but, but, but the other thing was consistently, when I listened to it and I winced every time, is a magnificent Dana Withers lives in Grand or has a house in Grand Junction. And consistently, I said Colorado Springs every time. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Colorado Springs is pretty far away. Yeah, people that's in like, Moab from fucking Colorado Springs. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Colorado Springs on the other side of the Front Range. Grand yes. Junction's not that far. It's yeah, it's not that far. Yeah, you know, well, it's just a little farther north. I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, anyone that cares, <laughs> whatever, yeah. want to go back and listen to the podcast is don't listen to any of the towns that I say and just think about Grand Junction. So anyway, thank you for that. Map, map not to scale. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, um, so Dana and that was a gal that, um, God, she had this great weekend planned and I was going to show up like this knight in shining armor having to, you know, coming out of Moab and then seeing her and then coming. So I called her and, and said, hey, uh, I'm in the hospital. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to see you this weekend. And, uh, and so she, it's like three hours or something. So she drove all the way down to Montrose, picked my broken ass out of the emergency thing, hauled me back. I couldn't get up the stairs to her thing because I was not in weight bearing. I was broken. And anyway, blah, blah. So she's got business and running shit. So uh, I convalesced there for a few weeks and, and blah. But and then the bike, another long story, which this time I won't go down that rabbit hole, but it would be a good talk to you and me one day over beers is how do you get a motorcycle out of a 13,000 foot pass in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. You know, from a hospital bed with no real cell phone reception. <laughs> so that was another interesting life story to recover all my shit. But really amazing humans were around every time. And it's, and it's easy for people to get cynical, but most people are really good. And some people are just great. And I've been blessed to to encounter many people so a lot of very human cool humans were part of it and so so this other guy that blah 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 ended up delivering the bike to dana's but she wasn't home because she was working and i was medevacing to louisiana and then left it kind of in this little shed thing that she had worked out and then um and then so that that bike sat there cryogenically frozen probably was frozen for six months out of here um <laughs> exactly how it was with exactly the gas that was in there and exactly the map in my tank bag folded over to how it was and dirty underwear and the veneers you know i mean it was it was my bike sitting there for a year so so that was kind of another thing was i wasn't really and again talking about logistics is you know when the great quit or the post-covid and the supply chain meow meow plus we'd also talked ad nauseum about and also about that camping thing is that Telluride and Moab are two places that you can't ever camp anywhere. And yeah. can't, you've got to have reservations. You just yeah. cannot show the fuck up. And I am the king of guerrilla camping. You know, I've camped in abandoned buildings, you know, in people's backyards, all kinds of stuff. But that's one that you kind of got to do the work and you got to pay the money and you got to reserve something. And even in the weird seasons, it's, those are just tiny places that are just full of 
lovers of the outdoors because these places are are inarguably the some of the greatest places on the face of the earth. They, they really are. Yes, they're crowded. Yes, they're blah, blah. But oh, my God, there's really. And I've been in every single continent except Antarctica and had driver's license in most of them. So uh, uh, so but, you know, you get what you pay for and everything. So so what I did think about, though, was in the peak of summer or the tail end of summer. Yeah. But September is really a, a popular season because the weather, it's the driest time of the year ever and plus those places have been dry because of the el nino or whatever but um uh i couldn't get a mechanic you know and i kind of yeah. called in advance sort of from louisiana when i started the trip and said okay i'm gonna reserve this because you can't even hear you can't just show up you know to joey's garage or whatever god so that was a, a and i couldn't just ride you know what i mean and that thing kind of needed to but anyway i found some awesome people in montrose and then then that was another huge thing and they set up the bike and then the first dirt road we hit was that, um, I think it's called Last Dollar Road. Mm -hmm. That's a magnificent road. That's that's one that people, even if you had a mild four-wheel drive, but it's it's there's some tricky bits in there, but it was a good, you know, welcome back to the bike. Welcome. Oh, and the first time ever really driving out there in those conditions where it was just me and the bike. Yeah. It was badass. And it was one of the few parts on the tat where Nathan was on the dirt road with me in the trailer, although I would go ahead and then yeah. sometimes I'd wait for him for a picture or something like that. And uh, uh, um, so for Nathan, it was one of the high points of the trip was the first day. And it was yeah. the first time and it was a checkout for him because, you know, my Jeep is uh, a <laughs> it's tricked out. It's got a lift kit. It's got old man emu. It's got all kinds of cool stuff on it, but it's a right hand drive Jeep. <laughs> all right. Remember you bought I it in Africa and had it in. Yeah. I, I had it when I was in Tanzania. It still has yeah. Tanzanian plates on the front of it. Uh, so uh, so that was also a trick for him. So I got to be squared with the gear. He got to be squared with his gear. And to me, that was also one of the more important. We bonded. It was fun as hell. The weather was great. It's so beautiful. And it so happened is that when we dropped into Telluride, and it turns out, no wonder why it was such a bitch and extremely expensive. It was like all the other lodging and motels and camping combined, you yeah. know, didn't quite match whatever the hell I paid for that ridiculous place. But, um, uh, but it was right at the peak of the Telluride Mushroom Festival. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was awesome. So we rolled into town and people were walking around in big, you know, like mushroom costumes and people who were tripping balls. And there was all <laughs> kinds of crunchy academic people like Indiana Jones with like magnifying glasses looking at her trees and shit. And that, uh, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so that was kind of the backdrop too of that. Of welcome to the tap, man, you know. Yeah. So it was that was pretty neat. And then the I think I talked a little bit last time, but the actual the story details a lot of it, too, I guess, in the next issue or whatever the thing goes. But um, but it was kind of a bad idea. And it, of course, I was already committed and driving up that damn Imogene when I right. realized, like, what the hell am I doing? I mean, I, I was still trying to I, I had that good ride the day earlier, but I mean, it was a couple hour ride. Yeah. Anyway, so so it, it was what it was. I finished the damn thing. Came back to the mushroom festival. We just had a full day there, and I kind of blew out the carburetors, and and uh, you know, and then we started. Then the then the day, then the first real day of like the new tat and coming out of there, we got from you can get them. They're like two hundred and fifty bucks a piece, and then you have to have this like Garmin plan. But there's these little clip on your D ring, kind of like cell phone satellite things. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if you ever used them, but it was kind of essential for us. But I must say, a little wag the finger at Garmin is that, you know, 
it's the only one that does what it does and I'm using their name and I did it and I'll, I still have them and I'll have to use them again because they kind of have a monopoly on that little niche. But remember when, like before iPhones just took over the whole thing, there was those Palm Pilots for a while. Yeah. yeah. And, but that has a whole different algorithm and language. And so too, these damn sat phones, they have a weird way and they're, and they're little Garmin. Like I said, you try to spread the screen and instead you're putting down points, you know, it's yeah. like, the buttons don't do what you think they do. And so it's really not intuitive. And that first day was a fairly easy day in terms of tatness. You know, I mean, the trail was pretty perfunctory. I took a GPZ, GPS Kevin's to join Sam's because the way I was in Telluride and Sam's had bypassed the whole thing that crippled me and went down the million dollar highway, a paved road. And right. so the whole Lake District on Sam's is pretty much a paved road. And hence why I, you know, I was trying to stay as dirt as I could. And so I went BDR and local and then and then coming out of telluride i popped into kevin's stat trail and then right in uh in early utah i picked up sam's it would have been like his third day because he goes way low anyway blah blah so that first day was a little bit of stitching together two trails that it normally join, but it was pretty easy but we uh we had this artificial goal that there was this town called stoner colorado and we just thought that was <laughs> hilarious and we thought oh man we got to have lunch and do a selfie in front of like Stoner, Colorado, you know, and so, and we looked on the map and, and again, those GPS Kevin kind of bigger maps compared to um, Sam Carrero's really suck. His strength and why you even care about Kevin is he's got, he was the first electronic and the little chip and you could just follow the dotted line on your Garmin and not really have to navigate. That's what Kevin is. But the actual little map you shit is just kind of a placebo map. And so that's what I loaded Nathan with. So Nathan could kind of watch where I was because he wasn't following. Other than that million dollar mile, that was like the only time in the TAD or one of the few times where he and I shared the same trail. Mostly yeah. he was on a highway map, reconnoitering campgrounds or establishing campgrounds and then buying fuel. And, and then why not? If he had a good day, go hiking and enjoy his vacation too, you know? So, and so that those little Garmin sat things was super useful to I, we set up a system. Well, I, I got I learned from the army, and as a young lieutenant, was like called phase lines, like uh, phase line alpha, phase line bravo, or whatever. And you'd do these arbitrary things that would be mostly highways that he could see on the map, or like intersections or little towns or something. Right. And so it would be like, okay, uh, you know, and because on these little, they reminded me also of on the one hand, like Palm Pilots, how they have a total different working system. But remember, in the now we're old people, is that. Um, before cell phones, and they had those lunchbox car phones, they had those little beeper things. Yeah. And the beepers, you know, they were just, the early ones had the red letter LED ones, and it just had somebody's phone number. You didn't know who yeah. the fuck it was. And then you'd have to leave the party or the restaurant and then go call on a payphone. And then the, the second generation just had these little fledgling messages, you know, that you could barely intelligible, like, call me ASAP mom or something like that, you know? And, right. And so that's about where these sat phones are. And it, then it uses your existing phone. And so you, you don't even read it on the sat phone. you got to like take your, it's really a pain in the end. And a motorcycle, that means you're going to stop, take your fucking gloves off and, you know, yeah. and then, you know, but it gives you signals no matter what in the middle of nowhere. And so to get both of us to the stupid town of Stoner <laughs> turned into like half it like way more time than we needed it was extremely frustrating and and of course i was still in the completest mode where i gotta start the tent exactly where i was and i gotta do all of these you know things and then um it's so good it took half the day and it turns out 
<laughs> Stoner wasn't even a town. It's like, I don't know what it's doing on the map. It's like a little RV resort, but yeah. not even with campers, but people like half living there. And there's some like desultory trailers and there's like a little fish camp. And then there's not even a gas station and there's not even, really not a, even a sign you could take a photo with. Yeah, yeah. there was a sign, but it wasn't even. Yeah. I mean, so we got. But the main thing, and I'll move on, is not much of a story, but like the first, the sort of seminal things was, <clears throat> excuse me, um, was uh, uh, that million mile, uh, last dollar road that yeah. um, got us melded together as a team and uh, got us both kind of operating our vehicles and understanding what we needed to do and pacing and, and get us excited about this badass trip that we're going to embark on. And then okay, I'm still trying to process whatever that I'm a gene pass thing was about. <laughs> but I did it, you know, and I, so I, at least I closed the door on that demon that I could do it, you know, yeah. or whatever. But it was kind of superfluous for the trip or for any reason. And it was horrible and frightening and beautiful and all of those things. And then, um, and then finally is this dumb story I told, but the comms. And it turned out that those, um, the communication-y thing, we never really had to use it, but God, it, it, uh, it really made a difference of, of that. Like, Hey, how do I find my buddy camping? Yeah. Because right. we didn't always have what the, you know, we would discuss like the night before. And that's kind of a fun thing to do in the tad is, you know, with your headlamp or whatever, and you kind of review the day tomorrow and what preps and thoughts you might have to think about or sleep on or, or options in the trail as much as you can. And with him, he would be next to me and we, he'd look at the roadmap and see where, um, you know, uh, where we might camp. Uh, etc. Around Moab, we had a, a state campground that wasn't really near Moab. And in fact, there was some options in the trail. And we, and so someday in life, I, I want to go back to the actual national park and that main focus area where everybody, go, most people go. But we kind of, I stayed kind of on the, the east you of it. National Park, you mean like Canyonlands? Yes, Canyonlands. Yeah, you go through Canyonlands. So, hey, um, so my understanding, because I've never ridden any of uh, the TAT or uh, backcountry discovery routes, but I've heard the Utah BDR where it goes through uh, the Moab area is pretty dicey, especially in the LaSalle Mountains area. Did you? Oh, Jesus. Did you stick yes. to all of that stuff and get through Utah? Oh, God. Yeah. So here's Mr. So kind of another driving thing for me was and by choosing that KTM, again, all logistics, it all goes down to the long tail of logistics ultimately, is that... Um, I got it because I was thinking about getting a 250. We talked in ad nauseum yep. about my choices. A better break. I got a light bike that I could pick up and throw around and fall off of and get back on it, et cetera. But the the negative part is it has a pinchy little, you know, dirt bike tank. And so I bought one of those Acer Beast ones. But yeah. even that one, and it's shaped weird. So it looks like a bigger tank than it is because of the air cleaner and all of that stuff on it. But right. I, I still was getting like a... A 180 range okay you know and some of those parts in the great basin southern and western utah and half of oregon and a big chunk of idaho it's you know next to the sahara it's one of the biggest emptiest spaces in north america you know yeah. i mean other than the canadian tundra shit and and frankly I, I was worried about the range and also being alone you know, uh, that's, a, you know, even in those mountain places, there's enough people playing up there in the summertime that's, you know, hunt, also it was the beginning of hunting season. Yeah. And well, you know, whatever people think about hunting is thank God for those hunters for me, because there was times where I'd 
I rarely saw the hunters, but you could see their camps and stuff. And I thought, well, I could crawl over here if I needed to, or, you know, right, like right. those, most hunters, those kind of guys up there hunting elk and like way in the high country are pretty resilient guys too, that had generators, first aid kits and were knowledgeable of the area. So uh, I was grateful. So there were humans, but in these other great basin, you know, where they have burning man and stuff. I mean, there's, yeah, there's nobody nothing. out there. So, so you had a larger tank, you had 180 mile range, but you didn't have like, an auxiliary fuel bottle or fuel canister. To well, yes, that was going to be an option. And indeed I bought one to take with me, but my point being back about the BCDR and maps was I kind of didn't want to put myself in that situation anyway. Right. Okay. And as much as I hated the rocks and the cliffs, but driving in sand is also its own hell. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I, at the very beginning of the trip in the outer banks, you know, I rode on the beach for a while and it was actually it was fun for like the first 15 minutes and then it's very exhausting and difficult and then uh when the sand gets soft or wet or whatever and then later on in in, in uh oklahoma on purpose i stopped off at that little county or state park and i rode the dunes there just to sort of practice and i was kind of like yeah so that's so stupidly to go back to the bcd or the backcountry discovery route is wow so I found when I started to, once I got off just Sam Carrero's tats and I started mixing and matching the maps and later on, we'll talk about, it, I went on the or the real Oregon trail. I went on Santa Fe trail. I went on the trail of tears. I was trying to do the nap. In fact, that's kind of where my emphasis, I wanted to do the flow of where our forefathers traveled cross country. And then the, and also the season I was traveling in would have been the season that they had traveled. And then, oh, you yeah. know, I had some Willa Cather books and stuff like that, that I could read simultaneously and kind of really feel what they were doing and anyway blah blah so so here was this bcdr and it went straight up the eastern ridge of uh of of utah from top to bottom but yeah. just hugged hugged that area and i said oh that's fucking perfect and then um and then then it joined because then sam has he sort of since has been playing with new trails up there in montana and idaho and then there's all this new sam's world that he created up there and then he calls it the i hate the it's pacific ocean sector or, or a spur because he yeah. calls it but pos is on all the maps and it stands up for pizza <laughs> <laughs> i've always put pos is on dx equipment or whatever, yeah you know? <laughs> so i kind of hated that all my maps were stamped piece of shit on there but uh, uh <laughs> and it wasn't it was arguably one of the best uh, parts of the whole tap but so yes so i thought yes i'm all about this bcdr thank you guys for doing this route that actually goes in a direction and, and where i want to go <laughs> well, <laughs> I was praying and hoping that I could have something as easy as the Imogene Pass. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then I felt kind of cheated because I thought, man, I thought it was going to be one and done. You know, it's going to yeah. front load the pain and build all this karma and it's all downhill from there. Yeah. But no, man, it was it was brutal. Yeah. There was I've, I've heard oh, Utah's pretty stories. gnarly, man. Yeah. I mean, because I know people that. They, you know, some of these people do these backcountry discovery routes on on GSs and stuff. I mean, you were smart. You were on a light bike because, I mean, the saying is like nobody out on an off-road ride will ever regret being on a lighter bike. Like, you know, it's like the heavier it is, you know, so even a middleweight GS is 500 pounds. You get a GS with all the panniers and camping equipment stuff, and you can be well over 600 pounds I mean, that's twice the weight of your bike plus any gear you had on it. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. It's like, you know, wilderness canoeing or something. There's parts where kind of with a motorcycle, you sort of have to semi-portage. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? It's like, you know, you're 
Oh, oh yes. You're absolutely. In fact, in the little story, I think I have a paragraph on trying to make people visualize what we're talking about, like what yeah. it physically feels like to basically pummel down. A, there's this probably the nadir of the entire experience as much as breaking. Because the irony of, and you can saw from the story, is like when I broke my leg, I owned it. I nailed it. I was summoning. The sign was in front of me, <laughs> and it was a mechanical failure of the machine. I mean, I didn't even do anything with my wrist and the throttle. You know what I mean? It just yeah. sputtered because I was reaching a new atmosphere and the little chip couldn't figure it out. I don't know what the fuck happened, but the air, you know, uh, fuel ratio or something, but it sputtered out and I slid backwards with power. I mean, anyone that's done hill climbs and shit knows that you're at the limits of your machine when you're, or like a, I just went to the air show in Pensacola, but these planes that go straight up and then stall. That's basically yeah. what happened. Yeah. I was going like straight up on the, motorcycle fully loaded with my 200 pound carcass you know but and then and then it happened but i was in control that i knew it was going on in this place that we're talking about there was this uh, crevasse funnel thing that looked like a dried waterfall that was literally bowling balls the entire there was no road there was a cliff there was the shale screen crap above but it was like a trough like a bobsled yeah. run that was completely paved in bowling balls. Yeah. So like, how do you even do that? You know, like what, you know, I, I literally shut the machine off. I was like at the edge of the little, uh, like one of those bungee jump moments or that, you know, I'm jumping out of a plane, you're like standing there at the doorway and it's like all or nothing, man. You know, here's this thing. Yeah, I could imagine being on a big GS whatever, or yeah. a, you know, Versys, Ulysses or one of these, oh God. Yeah. But anyway, that one was, uh, that was probably the single hardest, roughest. And again, it was one of those, okay, just turn around and get off and not take another route. No, nah, no. Nah. Where I yeah. was, was I snookered yeah. myself. There was no yeah. going back. You're committed. You know, yeah. there was some, and so, and that's one of the, I don't even know how to, the skill, you, you kind of almost need to be a trials writer on that. It yeah. was short. It was yeah. probably, you know, a football field long, but you know, one rock kills you. You don't need a whole I mean, it's like those. It's like those hard enduro things like the Erzberg Rodeo and Romaniacs and all those other ones. It's like the guys that always win those things are trials riders because they can just sit there and bounce off the rocks and, and launch and do different things. And uh, that's not something even a, cop, a reasonably skilled dirt rider would typically be able to do. And like I said, you've got gear and you're trying to make sure you survive the day and get to campsite and keep going. And so you can't afford another breakdown or another injury if you're going to finish the trail so you've got to yes. be cautious and so uh yeah man that's got to be sketchy yes yes very much so and uh and conditions you know other people might listen to this and say oh i'm going there exactly and then they could write back and say man i was on that trail and i didn't see no bowling ball canyon but again <laughs> because it also changes you know you can't blame because i was at the time i was cursing like not god because he's perfect and created the way it was but bcdr like what kind of jackass thought that I'm going to make this a road and I'm going to put it on a map and sell it for $15 to half the world and have a bunch of assholes hurt themselves on this. Like who would knowingly do that? But the thing is, is trail conditions change, right? You know, it, well, you and, know, there, I know there and some of those trails two years earlier flooded it sometimes in the tap when you, that's why also when you buy any of these maps or go on any of the ladies and gentlemen, you know, uh, listen to this, uh, uh, tap your foot. If you're a teacher, this will be on the test, go online and try to like, check it out because whenever that shit was published or went to post or got, yeah. you know, whatever is 
conditions change, you know. And well, for all I know, that was a perfect road, and then there was some weird flash flood. Yeah, but then exactly. also, like two years from now, another flash flood will put all kinds of soil down there, you know, yeah. or or someone will come in there and pave it, or someone will build some ten million dollar chalet up there, and then bring in power lines, and they'll cut a new road or something, you know. Like there's sometimes that shit gets closed, and you'll see throughout my story, and anyone that does it, a hundred percent for sure, at least once or twice, you'll have to do yeah. a workaround yeah. because. Because it's not an open highway. I mean, it's a backcountry route, so it's yeah, it's 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 subject to changing conditions. Like, so hey, a quick question. So, because you had Sam Carrero's Transamerica trail maps, you had GPS Kevin routes, you had backcountry discovery routes. So I know with the with the BDR stuff, um, they typically and then state um, stuff. Then I had and you also had state stuff. So I know that like when there's the particularly gnarly technical sections, my understanding is the backcountry discovery routes often have alternate like easier routes or less challenging routes. Yes. So I so I guess that's one of those things that sometimes maybe you get committed to a route before you know how bad it's going to be. But oftentimes there are alternate ways to go around the really gnarly stuff. This is true. This is a very true statement. And then and so throughout and hence the night before throughout that time, you're looking at where it going stuff. Like I said, because half of me, too, was looking at historical stuff. I love caves. If there was any cave, I would deviate somewhat. <laughs> You know, like there was always little stuff. So sometimes you're like, well, and then I'll, I lie to myself. God, I'm the best that ever was on you know, like convincing myself that I'm way more awesome than I am kind of shit. And then, you know, there was like, well, God, I just went through Bowling Ball Canyon yesterday. And this one is only two miles long and it's a little bit red. But God, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. And then. And then also it's a little bit arbitrary. Like you said, something that was red, like that was also early on when I was around, oh, I forget, where you just kind of peek into that amazing, I sent you one of those pictures of it with all the typical Southwest. You just kind yeah. of skirt this in a Escalante or something. Yeah, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. Yeah, yes. that's like between Zion and Bryce right there in the middle. Yes, of the kind of in the South, in the very beginning. Yeah. There yeah. was sort of a gnarly route. And that's when I was still of the view that it's all downhill from here and nothing will ever be worse than I'm a gene because right. I hadn't really been bloodied yet, you know, on this version of the tat. Yeah. And that was the first of the little red lines or blue lines or black, like one of the non, you know, one of the gnarlier ones. And um, and it wasn't that bad to me at that time. But again, it could have been one of those when they laid it out, it was one of these, well, shit, should we put this on here or not? It's pretty rough. And you know. So you never know. So, but that also messed me up. So when I got to Moab and beyond, I thought, well, shit, I've already done one of their red diamond ones or whatever. So yeah. I can do this. But then, and then when you're committed on the trail, like I said, then you're committed and then you're, that's how you're going to be, you know? And yeah. then other times just the regular BCDR and just the regular Sam, cause we're making it sound like, you know, if there was a scale that Sam Carreros is the pussy one and then the BCDR is the heavy one, but, that's not true either. Yeah. All of them follow paved roads on occasion and all yeah. of them. And yeah. Sam has some gnarly, that war loop road in Arkansas. I recommend people do a workaround. Like when I was there, like here I did bowling ball in Utah, but I, I wasn't going to do war loop, you know, like, so there you go. You know, uh, it is I mean, what it, it is. I mean, it makes sense because like I said, you know, some people will just follow one track. They'll like, Hey, I'm going to do the Utah backcountry discovery route, or I'm going to do the Transamerica trail, but you, 
you know, sounds like you were piecing things together and sort of editing as you were going along. But man, that's, I guess, part of the adventure, you know, in quotes, perhaps, is that sometimes you, as you even said in your first story in our November issue, you're like, sometimes you don't know you're in over your head until you're in over your head. And then, right. especially if you are going down a hill, whether it's a a mud fest like you were in Mississippi or maybe one of these places in the LaSalle Mountains in Utah. It's like once you're starting to go downhill, you often can't, your option is not to turn around and go back up the way you came because that's even harder. So you're kind of committed to a particular direction. So, yeah. Yes. And on the, the idea of switching care of maps is the way I look at it is all of these are just arbitrary lines, Yeah. you know, yeah. and it's artificial thing. And then there's the world out there. And then also is, I've had a couple of the Sam maps because I had ordered one before when I was playing, because I've been thinking and fantasizing this trip for a while. And that's another one. Not only should you all check online or whatever for the latest is make sure you got the latest version of the map yeah. because Sam, I, I don't know if Kevin and BC, they, they change their routes over yeah. for the very reasons them. that I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. New roads. And then moreover is, you know, only Lewis and Clark were Lewis and Clark. By definition, if it's on a map or on a website, it means someone else has gone there before. So it's not yeah. like you have to. And so to me was what I always called the spirit of the tat was I was trying to get from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean was as much dirt as I could. Right. So if there was an option between three maps and one was a gnarly road, but the rest were pavement, chances are I would take the gnarly one and just suck it up because I'm trying to get across america on a dirt bike i've done it on a street bike and it's awesome and driving cross country taking a train across countries i've done that and that's really neat also but but in this case it was all about so i called it the spirit of the tat right which one matched you know the most spirit of the tat and that's that's usually what i what i went for in my so, so you went i mean you know you restarted in colorado then you rode through a lot of utah and then you ended up like did you say that you got into part of idaho and then you entered yeah wyoming or, or actually let's wyoming. go to that part so right at the same horrible day as like bowling ball culvert or whatever is both of us ended up having a bad day nathan had something also too was oh it'll be easy for him and just follow the tat there's parts where the tat goes and there's yeah. it's kind of hard to get to by a car you know yeah. and uh, so that was a bad day for him where he had a couple of hundred miles towing that trailer and yeah they, oh he left his wallet at the gas station and had to go <laughs> back i mean stuff that we all do but like oh and um and then so so it was almost dark when i came and it was one of the highest points again we were at like ten thousand feet again i thought all that was done in colorado yeah, and oh that night was literally yeah. freezing it was like 28 degrees or something in the morning but anyway and i couldn't find them that are comms he said he was at this campground, but he wasn't because there was no one there. And it turns out there was like three campgrounds all under the same name, but they had different like mm. cul-de-sacs and turnouts. So when I was tired and it was over and it was getting dark and we had these cons and he said he was there and he wasn't and there was no sight and blah, blah. And then when I got there and here I was talking about spoiled rat steaks, there was nothing. The, just the tent was popped up. <laughs> and he was like curled up in his sleeping bag and like wasn't going to move for shit. So I, I ate an MRE and I was like, motherfucker, you know. And then the next morning was freezing and then um, and it was pea soup fog. But it was, oh, my God, it was some it's that Lake District. It's in the I've never been there in my life. It's in the I'm going to go back on a street. I'll never, ever go back on a dirt bike. But <laughs> I might come with like hiking with a llama or something like that, because <laughs> it's 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 some of the most beautiful. Not some of I'll call it. It's it's. 
it's up there. Top five of, of just physical. I've been to the Azores, you know, I've been Kilimanjaro, just different places, but it's that Lake district of uh, upper North, North Eastern, then the panhandle of that whole strip is just amazingly hard to describe. And again, I'm like the only one there. And, and so uh, I remember Wyoming? it kind of like a dream and it goes into uh, uh, Wyoming and then goes back into Utah and then goes back yeah. into Wyoming yeah. all the way to the very top. And in the upper north, north, eastern corner of the panhandle is this amazing bear lake. Oh, and yeah. it's this huge and it's a weird color. It's like a turquoise kind of a green blue thing. Yeah. And it's just stark because the countryside is kind of stark and you come up over this ridge and there it is. So that's where we ended up meeting up after the ill-fated camping thing when he was in. And then I figured it was we had Alcas for about five solid days. We were like at eight to twelve thousand feet like every day, you know, and and uh, uh, constantly. I mean, that's where we lived. And I and it was getting to me. I was exhausted, frankly. And uh, I thought that he had altitude sickness was was what it was. And so we camped there at Bear Lake. We kind of spent the weekend there. Like we yeah. got there in the late afternoon. I got there and then we spent like two days just chilling. And and literally that second day, that first full day at Bear Lake, we both slept like all day. We slept yeah. like a cat. I probably slept 18 hours. Uh, it was awesome too. You know, it was just, it was, and we we're the only, it was pretty windy though, but we we're on the Eastern shore and there was nobody. This whole campground with it, not even a custodian. There was, we're the only human beings. And I thought about Jim Bridger and all those, you know, mountain men. They had these, they had to have these like little Mardi Gras parties with all the French trappers and everyone was there. To, so, and then from there is where the real Oregon Trail and the Mormon Trail and stuff, it split from the Mormon Trail and became its own Oregon Trail. And, and so that's kind of got me ideas, you know, I'm going to sort of follow that. And so, um, so from there, it was also interesting. So, so now I'm on a different map system and it turns out that BCDR it's relatively new, has this little spur that connects to their Idaho route. And it was perfect. I picked it up exactly where we were in uh, Bear Lake. And it dropped me off right where Sam started again, where Sam's new kind of northern section. So it was I literally went from chip to chip, you know, and trail to trail seamlessly without having to stitch anything gnarly together. Nice. And then and then a lot of weird shit started to happen. Like there was this one rock that's weird. It looks like kind of a head. And I sent you a picture of it or whatever. And, and, and at the time, it was a huge navigational thing for everybody, for Native Americans, for the first trappers to the, you know, Mormon and the Oregon Trail people and everyone. It's like this really neat. And there's some interesting graffiti that dates back for hundreds of years from Native Americans all the way up to, you know, pioneers and stuff on this. And so rather than follow Sam's, which again, went back into the Great Basin and I had those concerns of gas and the desert thing, um, I bushwhacked a little bit. So for about 50 miles, because when I was physically there, I was like, okay, I can see that like in Oklahoma, it's easier to bushwhack where there's lots of kind of farm roads and, and dirt roads, but still dirt. And I went to this three mile crossing of the Snake River and there's a national or state park right there. And then the state of Idaho has its own it's called the oregon trail parkway or something like that and it's mm. dirt they have 100 it's like 120 miles wow. trail system that literally is the the ruts it follows through the prairie of these so i left tat and bcdr and everyone and i kind of deviated a little bit and uh and i took that mormon trail and boy that sure that to me also was one of the high points because again I, the whole time i was the only human being out there and the weather was excellent. 
and uh, the bike was running good. And then it wasn't like life or death. You know, I was kind of getting PTSD, like I said on that. Yeah. Every single day, several times a day, the feeling that I could literally die, it might be interesting to do and survive once, but like, that's not a way of life. <laughs> sure, it's exhausting. You know, I went to yeah. war. I've been in five wars, dude. Like, I'm yeah. done with that shit. I don't ever want to do those things again. I'm, I'm not interested in dying. I'm interested in living and loving, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, so that Mormon trail was great. I mean, the uh, uh, Oregon trail was great because I could relax. It was beautiful. It was well laid out. It was uh, blah. But meanwhile, over in Nathan Jeepland, uh, that poor guy, he was still, he never really bounced back. Fair enough. We were still at like 4,000 feet, 3,500 feet. I mean, it's the West and it's that massive plateau. Like all of Idaho, I don't think the lowest spot is below 1,000 feet or it might yeah. be. I, I don't know. Like even if it's flat desert plains looking stuff, you know, and then, so then we were outside of Twin Falls. And so we left the trailer. We just both went in the Jeep and I, you know, parked the bike and we went into town to get some like Mexican food and then see those falls, Shoshone Falls or whatever they're yeah. called. And it's super spectacular. It's, you think, oh, it's a city that has falls. Oh my God. It's, that is, again, it's up there, man. I mean, Niagara Falls, you know, the Yellowstone one. I mean, that's every human being should go to Twin Falls and see that. And it's neat. You can walk around and, uh, oh, and it has the jump of where evil can evil tried to remember that he tried to jump snake river, river canyon yeah. or whatever yeah. so in the same little hike you can see some of the falls and then see the little ramp it's still there and you think god there's no way he would have made that thing but uh, so that was as a motor because when i was a kid man i i grew up with that you know i was like second third grade you know i, I had all the evil can evil toys i was totally into evil can evil so that was pretty neat but anyway so so driving into town i mean after all the gnarly we're most of the way through <sighs> And uh, one of the U-joints underneath the Jeep, like, finally snapped, and it broke, the, like, the crankcase of my transmission case of the Jeep. Ugh. Right right on the bridge. Like, right where there's this gnarly, it's like a major bridge, and we just, thank God, like, 100 yards right after the bridge. <laughs> I was like, can you imagine that would happen on that? That bridge is, like, 500 feet up in this canyon. But fortunately, there was some kind of, like, Amco or something that literally was, like, three blocks away. Like, we could just push the car in neutral kind of rattling in it and, and it wasn't even a thing so again horrible that it happened but but thank god like all, it could have it could have happened in the middle of the desert you know i mean it could happen by himself and you know with those stupid little garmin things and trying to find him and me and and so it happened but so then we fixed that and then meanwhile i have cousins in in this place called melba that's it and that part of sam's kind of he, he kind of dumps you in this one part that's really pretty, actually kind of where my cousins live. And then he takes you through town. Boise is sprawling. It's yeah. kind of like a East LA, kind of Ontario, Pomona, San Bernardino, you know, where it's not really city. It's like little farms, but like track houses and, and for like a hundred square miles. And so, so on um, Sam's and all the little routes, you're kind of stuck in this little Boise basins. But in my case, my cousins lived over there by the Hawaii mountains in Melbourne, the little South. And, and so, and so it was just keep everything together. Like keep my buddy together who was falling apart. My Jeep was fall. Oh, cause after we got it fixed and we just hit the road again, this PCM, this, you know, proto Neanderthal Neolithic computer from GM, just like Garmin, instead of just buying Toshiba or Sony or, somebody's electronical system at the time chrysler daimler decided oh no we're gonna make our little proprietary 2006 crap and then now it's been bought by fiat or somebody else and nobody services it so this little 
the only like electronic part of my Jeep took a dump and then like no one, there's nothing you can do. So the Jeep drove perfectly, but I had no gauges. It was like no fuel gauge, no speedometer, no turn signals. You're just like, oh shit. So it's just keep everything together till I get to my cousin Calvin's. <laughs> you know, literally yeah. it was just like, just make it to somewhere. And then, so we got there and then that first day, again, Nathan just went to bed and couldn't get up. So I was like, by the first, and then of course my cousins, they're big hunters and his son is actually a professional hunting guide. And so we had, if you ever have antelope steaks, you know, I always thought that that was going to be gamey. And one of my favorite things is venison, but I tell you what, these antelope uh, medallions, these little loins, and it was really grateful because they didn't have a lot of them, but they, you know, it was a big treat. I haven't seen them in years and all of that. And uh, so we put on a big spread they, and had barbecue and, you know, played guitar and talked through the night. And Nathan wasn't having it, man. He was mm. in his room bundled up. And so the next day we're like, dude, I'm taking your ass to urgent care or whatever, because this yeah. is natural. And he's a younger guy, you know, and it turns out he had Lyme disease, man. You know, that you get by being bit by a tick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's and the, I felt really bad really, because that's yeah. a horrible fucking thing. And I'm kicking his ass and calling him pussy and all that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that he was really hurt, you know, and I felt of course horrible. Oh, and then here's another thing is that you know, the last trip, and I talked a lot about it in the article, was all those five named storms that were hitting home. Well, right about the time that I was going through bowling ball alley was Hurricane Ida. You know, to this day, it's listed as the sixth greatest storm ever to hit in the history of measuring these things, the American continent. And uh, and it's six only behind Katrina. That was number five. That was a big ass storm. It was a class four hurricane. That's 150 mile an hour sustained winds. I mean, that's a holy shit storm. And uh, and of course, they hit right at New Orleans and right where my house is by the water. And. I heard that it was coming right when we went up to the high country. So for three solid days, I didn't have any comms. No, <laughs> yeah. You're wondering what and, the heck is and, going on. Yeah. And then when we got down to big bear Lake and I could turn on my phone, I was thinking it's already happened. So whatever happened, do I need to know about it or not? You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and it, it, it was weird to think that like every single thing I own is, could be right here with me right now. Like this could be everything I own. And then I thought, well, it's my Jeep, my trailer, and my motorcycle, so I'm actually doing pretty good. <laughs> so I thought, okay, Life you know, I clicked on yeah. the phone to see if I had a slab or a house. Yeah, you know, just, be, just become a nomad. So, okay. Yeah, so yeah I just thought this could be a way of life. That literally, you're right. This could be what I'm yeah. doing now. You know, it's a weird, and I felt okay with it, actually. And so then I was like, okay. And then I, so what, so then so I what happened with Nathan? What, what happened? With, wait, so let's go back to Nathan. What happened to Nathan? Yeah, so the reason why I mentioned that was, so... So I was like, shit, I mean, you know, okay, it's fun and blah, blah, blah. And that hurricane was real. And I kind of also mentioned that. It's like, you know, I, should I go home? Should I keep doing it? Like, this is real stuff. And these are real people. And he's a super good dude. And so I medevaced his butt. I, I bought him an air ticket. And later on, I, you know, UPS, some of his, you know, camping stuff that he had brought and, and all of that. And I, I ended up taking it with me in New Orleans and then cleaning it and, you know, sorting what was his and what was mine because all of his stuff was commingled tools and all that stuff. But the reason why I mentioned Ida was because that stupid, crazy freak storm, and I think why it's listed so high, stayed a storm as it ripped all the way across America. It went up over the Allegheny chain of the Appalachians and bitch slapped Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia up the backside of the head. Have you? I mean, you're from, you used to live yeah, in Philly. Yeah, yeah. 
Have you ever heard of a hurricane in Philadelphia? Absolutely yeah. not. And coming from the West, I mean, no one ever heard that. If you were to get a hurricane, sometimes they hit the Jersey Shore. That was that one terrible storm that might have reached into Pennsylvania and those northern counties. But this, it was a class one hurricane. That's like, what, 90 mile an hour sustained winds. Like and, it, and it came from the West. Yeah. <laughs> and where my buddy lives is in Germantown. And that's what just got its ass kicked. Because it's in that little ravine, that, that beautiful yeah. Childkill River and all of that. Yeah. And he lives in this little garden apartment, which is a almost basement. And so I heard from him later on. He texted me. Is that when his buddy picked him up and he was all tired and broken and sick, is he didn't go straight home because they had to evacuate his apartment because it was under <laughs> his walk. Jesus. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy. He got bit by a tick. And got this lifetime disease for which is no cure. And he came home with storm damage from a Louisiana storm. What <laughs> <laughs> I call, I felt responsible for all yeah, that. Yeah, man, stuff. it's like a curse. So, really so after, so after having a support crew, a, a one-man support crew, you're back. I don't, so where were your cousins? Where did you fly him home? Where are you basically back yeah, on your own? Greater Boise, in the sort of central western part of uh, Idaho. And okay. I was there for about 10 days. It took me to like, you know, first day was there and then he was sick and then we had to deal with that and, and then get a plane. And so that was a couple of days. And then I tried to sort out my Jeep and that took a while because, you know, it was a weird thing. And most mechanics kind of didn't want to deal with it. Everyone knew what the problem was, but like you can make more money changing oil. And, try. and of course, because of the COVID, everyone was shortchanged and didn't have enough people and parts were you know mail order all that stuff and it took a while and in the meantime my cousins are awesome they live in a really cool place and uh, you know i've been on the road and so uh, i was there for a little bit long, like i said probably about 10 days or something longer than i needed to be but sorting out all my shit and then i also had to rethink the trip you're absolutely right like i nice. had to like damn and i had to like repack and figure out what i bring and didn't bring now i'd already done it from the original tap from cape patterns sure. so i hadn't used to riding a light bike where you didn't have to carry all your shit yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And so I kind of made the combat decision that I would bring my little um, sort of tent hammock yeah. because it acts pretty small in case something happens. But I, I, I called it and said, you know what? I'm not going to camp. I'm, I'm going to stay because it's only like I figured it was three to five days across Oregon to finish the task. That's basically the last state. You just basically had to cross into Oregon and then head Great to the coast. Yep. Yeah. From central eastern oregon and it goes slightly west southwest but it's mostly just due west and, and i'm already kind of in the northern part and i'm just kind of going diagonally south so yeah i said damn it i'm finishing this and by then i was in better tap shape i'd already done the bowling sure, ball out sure. yeah and yeah my leg was i figured out a weird way because that was the other one when the bike was loaded i still had a little bit of mobility issues where i couldn't swing my leg right <laughs> right. right right yeah yeah I had to sort of get up and step up through it. So I figured out a way where anytime I stopped for gas or at a little restaurant, I'd go around the corner of the building and then put my, um, I had big aftermarket metal brush guards, you know, over my uh, handlebar things. And I could just cram that brush guard on the side of a telephone pole. Or if no one was looking in the back parking lot of Walmart, somebody's big F-250 or some shit, you yeah. know, on a tailgate. And then I had to, so I could stabilize the bike and then i would have to stand up over it and, <laughs> and so uh so then it kind of made me worry that god if i fell in oregon i'm fucked because 
I wouldn't be able to, I'd be fine, but I could, I could pick up my bike, but I couldn't get on the damn right, thing. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, so that was kind of the back of my mind, but it never came to pass. And so I'm fine. And also, we had talked about the bladder and all that. Here's another kind of stupid, funny story. So, so from Melba, where my cousins live, to this place called Farewell Bend, which also beautifully ended my little Oregon Trail. Because at that moment, the shallowest part to cross again the Snake River for all the pioneers to get into where the whole reason why they left St. Louis or whatever was to go to the beautiful Oregon parts. And then they went north, south, they just scattered. So the very end of the Oregon Trail is right there. And they call it Farewell Bend. All those people that traveled together are now going off in different directions. Now they're competitors. They're all going to try to get new land and mining claims or doing whatever they were going to do. And so, uh, and so I camped there and, uh, it was a little bit early to camp, but I just, I kind of wanted to have that experience and that mm -hmm. campground and uh, all of that. And uh, also another funny little thing is that about five miles in this little sliver by the river, there's this like unincorporated community or something that is Oregon legalized recreational weed, but Oregon is one of these States where the population centers, which is like Eugene, Portland is like two thirds of the state population and they're all super left but two-thirds of the land mass of the state are like all MAGA rancher people <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so it's uh, and so all of that part is real conservative ranchers and native americans and stuff and the weed thing is kind of like texas and, and tennessee is for liquor there's like dry counties and wet counties right. and so all of those places are totally christian and they totally are not about that except for this little sliver by the river that's somehow unincorporated and, and it reminds me of those like Native American casino places. So there's nothing out there. And there's this little town that has probably a hundred people. And there's like five weed dispensaries <laughs> in this place. And, um, and there's all these license plates from like Utah and Idaho and stuff. So all the college kids drive into bumfuck Oregon because <laughs> it's like the first place, you know, I guess you could get in it. So it's kind of a funny weird parentheses to my little uh, Oregon trail. It was like this whole little subculture in this thing. And so, uh, but anyway, so leaving there, it wasn't the promised land as everyone thought, is that there's the last little chunk of the Great Basin. So taking the BCDR route and taking all these securities ways to avoid crossing this big open desert, at the end, I, there was still a piece of it that I had to swallow. And at the time, I thought, well, I got my boy Nathan. And, and there was a part in Utah that was a long distance. But Nathan literally met me with a gas can. And he was waiting and, you know, underneath a freeway overpass or something. And uh, I came there and he filled me up. And that was great. I said, God, I wouldn't know how I would have done that without him. But And so I thought we'd do the same in Oregon because it was this road that went by. And he could just wait for me on the highway. And not, but I was by myself. So I, I filled up that bladder. And uh, and I strapped it on the bike. It's kind of hard to strap on because it's yeah. jiggly, like like hold a kidney or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> and then I so I crossed the Great Basin, and I was like, "Wow, I, I'm getting pretty good mileage on this thing." And because that's the other thing, it's hard to say like what my mileage was. Yeah, I was probably getting fifty to sixty miles a gallon, but you know how much mileage, and you're in first gear for four hours. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. The clutch, like it, it's distance rather. You know, it's hard to. So, but in this case. I'd driven the most from Cape Hatteras all the way to that point without refueling was on that day. I, I went insane amounts of miles without ever having to put the, no. so then finally it started to sputter and I'd never run out of gas on that bike. So I never knew really what it was felt like. So it was an interesting thing for me. I was actually comfortable with it because by then I was in the pines. I'd left the desert and is in the pines. And, um, and I, there was no possibility of, there's one place that I could have pulled off 
and left the trail and came back. But in this case, I thought, no, he, this little gallon was good for at least 40, if not up to 60 to 70 miles. So, and that's all I'm going to do for the rest of the day. So I felt fine. I was going to run it till it crapped out just to see what that was and what miles I got out of it. So that happened right when I hit this blacktop finally, that was kind of going into town where I was going to get a motel. So I was like, oh, wow. And so I literally, it was a pretty steep, nice paved. So I pulled in the clutch, put it in neutral. And I, I never ran out of gas because I just coasted. And there was a gas station in this town. And I literally coasted in the gas station. So when I got off the bike to fill it up, I looked over. <laughs> and that bladder had shifted under the little bungee cords or whatever. And somehow had touched the muffler and melted the fucking. Why didn't I just engulf in flames? I mean, I had a gallon or two gallon gas thing that melted on my muffler. And why didn't I set the whole forest ablaze behind me? I mean, uh -huh. and why didn't I just, or if none of those things happened, why did my bike wait to crap out when I was already going downhill on a beautiful paved road into town? Like, yeah. what if I crapped out five minutes or made a navigational error yeah. and crapped out in the middle of the forest somewhere? Like, it was one of those, like, oh, the enormity of it. And also the false bravado. I said, oh, I can keep going. I can keep going. I don't need to pull off here for gas. I'm good. I have the spare out there. <laughs> <laughs> I never had that spare. So it was a weird feeling. I was like, God, oh, thank you, God. I mean, you know, wow. So that was it. The big Great Basin. And so when the Great Basin was finished, I had about three more days left. And also, arguably, that was the single. I tell people, if you're if you do have one of those big Winnebago bikes, you know, or you were unsure of your skills or, or you are infirm and you had some medical issues or whatever, and you could only do a little part of the tat. I'd mentioned Arkansas and the Ozarks, although some of the roads there are more challenging. But if you could do Oregon or even that half of Oregon was just magnificent. That's nice. a part of the tat. I'd say I'd never ride a dirt bike again. But if if you wanted to give me one of your Triumph Tiger test bikes to see if it was any good or not you know I, i'd go i'd take it and say thank you and, and I'd, I'd probably do that route again because it's really neat oregon i mean here's a state that puts a douglas fur on their license plate man you know <laughs> those are people that know how to run a state park and state campground and they they care about their we that is really just well organized good markings and but not um, obtrusive to the wilderness experience. I mean, really well thought out. I mean, cheers to you, Oregon, and your state park system and natural resource husbandry. And um, they've actually paved a lot of their roads, but in a very cool way. They're little one lane, like almost single track, yeah. like, like bike paths that go for hundreds of miles. And there's a huge network of these really cool like bicycle paths through the wilderness. Nice. And having come from Bowling Ball Alley and Crossing Great Basin and all that, you know, I'm sure that was a relief. Yeah, it well, was, I mean, at some huge. point, at some point, like you've had the challenge. Now you just want to finish, you know, so yeah. having, having things having things a little bit easier towards the end is I know any trip I've done. It, it, it makes it a relief. So. So. All right. So it's been more than a year prior to this. You riding across Oregon, you had ridden your KTM on the Pacific. I mean, on the Atlantic uh, you know, basically on the beach in the Atlantic Ocean. So what was it like to get to the very end of this trip? I mean, you basically going across Oregon and you make it to the Pacific Ocean. Did you actually get to ride on the beach in the Pacific? Yes. Um, but I, I'm sorry uh, if I could go a little bit longer on that. The, the one last, so everything was made in the shade. And on the one hand, you're right. I just wanted to finish it. But on the other hand is like a really good book, you know, that you've just been reading the hell out of all day. I didn't want to finish it. 
You know, I was going page <laughs> by page because the weather was great. It was so beautiful that despite the Jeep breaking and Nathan leaving and all that, like, I can make it. I did it. I'm fine. And it, and it was so great. But at that time, and it's every year, but especially the last two years, the poor people of the West and the poor Oregonians especially is those wildfires. I mean, raging, you know, million acre, you know, you can see the smoke from space. People are wearing face masks in Portland kind of shit, you know, like just terrifically horrible fires. And that, and I've been watching, just like I was watching the hurricane, you know, once we got to Idaho, we were watching those wildfires because they were all burning from end to end where the tat was going in central and Western Oregon. Like, you know, about a third of the tat was in these zones that was being closed off and having aircraft dump, you know, orange crap on them, you know, like, wow. So now what am I going to do? And that, and I detail a little bit in the story, but that was a trick. And, and sure, I could have gotten on Route 80, I think it is, or whatever, 40. And in three hours, I would have finished the tat. You know what I mean? But, but the spirit of the tat was, I'm trying to get there by my dirt bike. And a big swath of Oregon was suddenly off limits. And so that took a little bit of uh, finessing. And then, um, and so I, I kind of talk about Oregon's story, but I was fine. And I had to cross the Cascades. And that was the other one. You can't really go around the Cascades. You got to go through them. But all the areas that I would have gone through them, except for a couple of paved roads, freeways that the government had kept alive from the fire, you know, for interstate transit or whatever, were all closed off. Even if they weren't on fire, they were closing it because shit was so dry. And it was really windy and it was, these fires were jumping hundreds of miles and spreading, you know. So under escort of a sheriff and a couple of other people at campground that I caught him, he, I went through the smoldering area and got to the other side. And then I was in the staging area of all these firefighters from all kinds of states and National Guard. And, and uh, it was interesting. And uh, uh, it was kind of chaotic, but like a, like a military operation. And it was all going on. And then from there, I... Uh, talked to this kid at a gas station and uh, uh who was a dirt i saw a dirt bike in, in this thing and i walked in it was the kid that ran that was you know pumping the gas at the gas station it was his bike and uh so it's go like, oh, perfect and so he was pretty knowledgeable in the trails and so but he was telling me he's like i said so how do i get out of here on a dirt road and go where i'm going and, and so we he he was we're talking about it but he says but you know what dude he's like you got it he says make sure you fill up here and you make sure you have there's no gas or no services or no towns and this whole chunk that i was gonna drive through but he says the problem now is that all the critters from these mountains are getting burned out are coming down to the lowlands and he says even around here but especially out where you're going he says there's like record numbers of bear and they're all hungry and they're all scared and because it was in september i guess it was this is when they're all having their babies before they go hibernate you know they're getting their cubs kind of done so he says you don't want to stop for shit you know like uh, there's cougars and bears and they're all hungry and pissed and they hate you and um so so that was kind of, i never i never even saw i saw a bear later on on that on the last day but uh but that was kind of a weird thing <laughs> and of course when you're riding like that you're like god was that tick 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 happening in my engine what was that sound what it, 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 do i have a flat <laughs> you know like I was really, and then I, and then because navigation, because I'm totally off piece now, I'm off Sam's trail, I'm off every trail, I'm you know, 100 miles from where I need to be, and I'm trying to do this by dirt roads, so there's a lot of navigational stops, and again, the whole time where I'm stopped and squinting at this friggin' garment and trying to plug in little things, I hear twigs snapping or a little sound, 
<laughs> it's kind of like being in a combat zone you know you're like super fucking frosty about what's going on around you <laughs> so uh so that was like another piece of the tat anyway at the very end oh here's another little piece to, to finally get to the water and then we'll finish this tat, the conversation is that so in the whole trip I got one flat tire in Tennessee. We didn't really talk about it because it's a sub story. It's interesting. I could, but you know, time and space and all that. So, um, so later on in Trinidad that we talked about was where typically people swap out their tires, the tire thing. I thought I could change a tire and all that, but here's another thing. It's like, we can all sit at the bar on some website, you know, and talk about stuff. But when it's really you really there, really doing it, it's different, man. And so I had a tubes, I had the spanners, I had a little video saved on my phone of some 16-year-old girl that like field strips her KTM and puts it back together in 15 minutes, you know. And But then when it was me in Tennessee, and I'm sitting there with this flat tire, and I took off all my shit, and I found a rock and leaned the bike over, and I started to do it, and I thought, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to completely fuck up my bike. I'm going to put a hole in the tube that I changed, you know, and it was like, and so at the end, I kind of, um, I kind of uh, wimped out, you know, <laughs> I ended up getting to find a guy and he told me and, and I'd help and all that. So it made me think that I can't be pulling this shit in Utah, man. I didn't know about Bowling Ball Alley yet, but I just thought I could perceive there would be things like Bowling Ball Alley. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I, I've got to, that this could be a problem. Like traveling alone as I am going to harder remote places, I, I either learn how to change a tire or come up with some solution. And, and I'm, I'm too dumb to, and thumbs uh, to learn how to change tire. Right. And uh, if anyone's listening to this, they're probably going to scoff at me, but uh, it's real. I mean, I had the stuff, I looked at it. I thought I kept all the spanners because I thought, well, again, maybe I could trade like beer for <laughs> work or something. Like if I was in a place, the guy said I could help you, but I don't have the tools. I'd say, like, Oh, I have the tools. You know? So anyway, so when I was in Trinidad, I swapped out the, and then I read, that's another one. God, those, they call them bib moose. So there's another name for them, but they're basically these concentrated foam rubber and this like liquid, like talcum powder. And so they're puncture proof tires, basically, you know, but like a lot of things are a compromise. And one of the compromises is you can't go above like 60 miles an hour. They get too hot and they blow up. I mean, literally they explode off your rim or, or stuff. And then, and also there's a shelf life to them that's a lot less than a pneumatic tire. And so, so my compromise was I just put a bit, I'll do half and half. So I'd reduce my risk in half, I thought. So I'd keep a typical pneumatic tire on the back because that's where the friction and the speed was. But on my front tire, I'd put one of these bib moose. And also I had read anecdotally, if those sort of go flat, you could still kind of maneuver your bike. But if your back goes flat, the chain would pull the tread off the rim hello hello yeah yeah i just i've been talking for a while i wasn't yep, this yep. is about the point at the end of the conversation where the last two times yep, i'm I was talking to the cat and you were <laughs> like taking a shower and going to work i'm ready for you to wrap it up <laughs> yeah so uh, uh yeah so um so anyway the only reason why i bring all this up now is again almost like the little gas thing on the last day of the tap of the, it was again, beautiful weather and everything. And, and I get, I talk about in the book is that instead of going straight to the tat, I did this little excursion because there was a little ghost town and it was the last day and I didn't want to let go. And it was so beautiful. And, and I was kind of like, after I finished, you know, okay. And so, but I kind of dicked around too much. And then when I finally got back on the real tat and I had about 60 miles to go, 
So it's a couple of hours still, you know, and through the Siskiyous, one last little mountain. You think you're there and you can, on the map, you can actually see blue at the edge of the margins, you know, but you're still committed to this trail and it goes, and God, it was a circuitous route that go down to the Rogue River and then all the way up to the tree line and then back down. It followed like every saddle and shoulder of the terrain, you know, I guess it was an old wagon road or something but god it was brutal you're almost there you're almost there and it just the next turn nope the next turn is another valley and you go up to the top of the mountain and you look out and you can't even see the ocean you just see more valleys and, and you're like jesus i mean this is the longest 60 miles I've ever had and in particular it was long because by then the rigidity of that foam rubber that had lasted me from trinidad which is the eastern southeastern corner of Colorado and so I've gone basically three quarters of the length of Colorado top to bottom of all of Utah a corner of Wyoming east to west all the way across on the fat end of Idaho and now you know three quarters of the way four-fifths of the way all the way from end to end of Oregon on this front tire and again through bowling ball alley and bouncing through it is my tire wasn't getting squishy by the end it was flat I was riding on those rims and uh, and probably fucking up my rim at doing it. But at this point, I probably had 15 miles or something like I, you know, 20 miles. I've got to do this. And so that was enough. So then to now really, really get to the beach part. So so when I oh, and that's the other one is extreme. So at the little in bed and breakfast I stayed, which is super cute. And it's like old. It was an old stage. The original one was from the 1850s. And then it burned down in 1888. And then so this inn is totally barely remodeled from like 1888 and, and the wooden floorboards. It's really cute. It's been a stage stop since the gold rush. And it's the oldest continuously operating business in the Pacific Northwest that it was built as a hotel in 1888. And it's remained a tavern and hotel, even through prohibition and all of that. And so it's really, really neat. And so that was the last place I stayed in. It was cute, but because of COVID and all that, instead of one of these big spread breakfasts at these places usually put on they gave you one of these peachy little paper bags that had like a fucking apple or banana like a power bar and like a cinnamon roll or something from 7-eleven you know and you're like in a little juice box or something you know that was the breakfast so and then because i dicked around that morning through the afternoon and i needed to get going i was really hungry and so in my tank bag i had one little power bar and as soon as i saw this little sign that said something about the ocean i thought oh i'm almost there so to celebrate the next little vista that I see and the first time I see the ocean, that'll be the first time I saw the ocean like that year because I started in Colorado, you know, like the first time I see the ocean, I'm going to stop, shut off the engine and have a little power barrel picnic and like relish the moment and then come down the mountain and finish the tap. Well, it never happened. <laughs> I was really hungry. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon. It was like, what the fuck? I go all the way up and see this vista and I'd see more mountains and more forests. I mean, what the hell, you know? And then then I come down the mountain and then I'm, and, and, oh, and, oh, the other thing too is when I said, oh, if you ever give me that Triumph Tiger and I run that route again is the, the nice thing about that final Oregon stretch is it was literally like the greatest hits package of the entire tap from Cape Hatteras. I'm serious. The Rogue River looked exactly like North Carolina. You know, those ferns and those deciduous trees. And it was kind of humid down there. And the, and all of North Carolina had streams next to the roads. You know, all those roads would go down into these little hollows and stuff. And so it looked exactly like that. And then climbing out of it 
was like pines and western. And then there was parts at the top of the Siskiyous that was chaparral and scree that was very much like Utah. And then a couple of weird little dried microclimates that were like south facing that were kind of Manzanita and desert. But then there was these defilades that had these, uh, there's some not, not, there's a typical pine, there's redwoods and there's another pine that's, that's from that area. And, uh, and they had like moss on them that was really Pacific Northwest. And so it was, and it's short, I'm talking like 15 miles. It was just these, the terrain kept changing. And it was, it, like I said, it was just the greatest hits of all the most waterfalls on the side of the animals. I saw bear, there was a herd of elk. The only elk I saw, oh, I saw one single elk in Arkansas of all places, but there was a herd of elk. That's a big animal. Boy, that made me pull in the clutch and like let them cross because boy, you, you get hit by one of those or what? That, that's a, I didn't realize how really big elk were, but a uh, impressive animal, just impressive, like a, like a Clydesdale, like one of those Budweiser beer horse things. I mean, a big animal, bear, a neat. So, uh, so anyway, so I'm down there on the Rogue River, pretty hungry, waiting for a little seascape. And then on my little Garmin, it was just a single trail forever and ever and ever. So I'm not even looking at the Garmin. There's not many options, you know, I'm just following this river. I saw this T intersection coming up. And I'm like, oh, that's a change of like terrain within 100 yards. Like, okay, here it comes because I had it on kind of macro. And then suddenly I turned the corner in this forest and that little was Highway 101. And then right when I came to the intersection, the map turned blank. The Garmin, because my chip was finished, that's it. The tap was over. So it was kind of, it was startling in its abruptness. You know? yeah. Like, there it is, done, you're done. You know, yeah. and I hear I'm trying to, it's like, fuck. I was kind of just like, really? No, no, not yet. You know, like, uh, and then, so then, I, and then you're on Highway 101. It's not a freeway right there, but it's still a big, undivided, like, four-leaner, you know? And then, and then the ocean's on one side and the forest is on the other, and you're, and it's like three or four miles down to Port Orford itself, which incidentally is the westernmost part of the continental United States. And I think that's why Sam picked that. Because I was wondering why Port Orford? Why not Port of Discovery where Lewis and Clark ended up or several other places? But it's because it's you know like you're going from the easternmost to the westernmost. And uh, it's kind of neat. So, yeah. So I arrived in Port Orford. Oh, and I had to drive like on the shoulder with people honking at me. you got a flat drive. front tire. Yeah, and I'm just they're trying not to get mowed down by a semi, and 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 then on the paved road, like it was a little bit forgiving on the little dirt and gravel. In fact, it was great on the gravel, yeah, having this little flat tire. But uh, so it kind of sucked, and I was getting tired, and and the freeway thing was, and I was still shocked that like the tap was over. It's really over. Is it really over? It can't be over. And then um, so then I get to this port, and the port is a working port. I mean, this is a seaport with working fishermen, major, you know, crabbing and tripping and whatever the hell they're doing. And so, uh, and it's also weird because it's, it's, I've seen this in the Azores, actually, and I've seen it in Africa, but it's not a port port because it's exposed. And I don't know why the hell they built it, I guess, because it's the westernmost part or something. There's a lighthouse there. And so it's got these huge cranes. And they're lifting up these, and you've been here in Louisiana, these big shrimp boats, commercial live aboard out there for two weeks at a time. And they're lifting them up in these nets and putting them up on top of the docks into these like dolly things. It's really interesting. I've never, I said the ones in Europe and Africa were smaller scale, but I've never seen this big like pulling ships out of the water and setting them on top of the dock. It was, it was the end of the day. And so the boats were, as a work day, you know, during the week or whatever. And so uh, people were coming in with their catch and, so that was interesting in and of itself, irrespective of the last minute of the tat. So, but it was confusing because having been on the internet, like everybody and read all the shit about the tat was this, all the pictures of everyone on the beach 
I'm like, where the hell is the beach? And, you know, there's not a sign for that. And it's, it's this kind of industrial port. So I'm like, huh. And I got a flat tire and I'm tired. It's getting me dark. I don't want to dick around, run around this fucking beach. But, uh, but I did. I mean, I had to do it. You know me, I'm ADHD, complete guy. Got to be on the beach. I got to dip the tire in, you know, got to happen. And uh, since I dipped the same, not the same tire, but at least the same rim was dipped in the uh, Atlantic and I took the picture. So damn it, I got it. It's not over until it's over, you know? So, so I did, I found a little kind of a footpathy thing through like the ice plants that kind of went down this sand, you know, typical West coast looking, you know, all the way down in California. And then the beach is like kind of down below. And so uh, I went down there, but it's at the end of the day. And so the tide was kind of coming in. So there wasn't really much of a beach there. And I was already committed because I came down there and it was windy. God, I said, from the minute I came out of the road river, I almost got blasted out. It was extremely windy that day. And so I was like, wow. So I'm, I'm sitting there perpendicular to the wind, like, like a big sail. And like with my boot, trying to plant it outward, like a giraffe trying to drink, you know, I'm trying to, my legs are splayed to try to keep them blowing over because all my luggage, I'm like a big sail and I'm trying to, take my gloves off because the phones don't work with gloves on you know so like the little touch screens and and and, and try not to drop my gloves because like i said getting off the bike and getting back on the bike i thought i told myself because i almost dropped the glove but it, it fell on the tank and i was able to pick it up because i thought you know what if i drop this glove i'm leaving it on the beach 40 bucks or not because <laughs> i can't get back on the motorcycle because i told you i've got a cripple and i don't have the mobility to see my yeah, life you can't put a kickstand down in the sand so yeah, and my like, see, my like, feet were we were starting to sink the, in, and then the tide was coming in, and the tide I saw the tide coming in when I was kind of coming down there, but it was coming in really fast. I mean, as long as it take me to tell this, then dick around trying to ride the bike, and then trying to get the background so you could see the sea and not just my shoulder and oh that shit, and then um, and my boots were sinking, and then the tide was coming in. So by the end, I was like in the ocean, you know, like I'm like about you know six inches but almost middle of the calf because it's sinking it and then where the ocean comes that sand that was hard now was getting is like undermining you know and my my wheel was getting to be covered and so it was a i thought you know what i made the entire tat only to lose my bike to the ocean at the end (laughs) all right so you finally you finally put your bike wheels in the pacific ocean after doing it in the atlantic ocean more than a year earlier so that was a hell of an adventure. Uh, I know that we've got the first part of your story in our November issue. We'll have the part two, which you've sent me, and I've got photos in a upcoming issue in January 2023. Uh, hey, man, I hate to wrap it up, but I have got to go. It is Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I'm on deadline for a January issue. So thank you for sharing your story, both in uh, written form and in these uh, three podcast episodes. Uh, I've got to go, man. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Love you. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it. And for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.